all for it. I love it. That's great. Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to <clears throat> turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Last week, we met with the guys, and the week before that, we met with the ladies. So all of you who are going to be part of, or are going to inspire to be part of our new ministry, and we begin to really go to work on dealing with people and the problems and the issues in the Bible. Uh, now you're in these teams. Uh, boy, I've been watching them and, and listening, and, and some of you uh, even gave your principles today. Uh, I'm really, 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 this is what we need, and this is where, this is what will really help this. And uh, we, uh, <clears throat> we're going to enter into 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today, and I want to build this chapter, uh, especially today, I want to give you a verse that is going to be something that you want to remember. It's something that probably is one of the central key verses in not only your own life, but in dealing with people and helping people through their issues is what we're supposed to do found in the book of Proverbs, and you're going to find the farther we get into this, the more time we spend in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 is probably one of the key verses in the Bible that will help you really put it all and keep it all into perspective. And it says this, it says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everybody goes through issues in life. Issues in life can be good. Issues in life can be bad. But the, the heart of those issues and where they start is in our own lives and our heart. Now, hence, we use the term a lot. You know, uh, the heart of this, or I feel this in my heart. Somebody says, the heart of the problem. Every problem and issue that man has will go back to his heart. That's why when you start to deal with people in problems and you deal with people, this is where you've got to fundamentally start. This is what you've got to look at. Now, from this point on, and there won't be, there'll be times that I will preach uh, at you. Uh, there will be times that I'll have specific things that I want to say to you. And I, you can take, when I'm preaching, I am preaching at you. But that's not today. Today I want to take you on the inside. And I, want, I don't want to preach at you, but I'm going to preach to you this morning. Uh, I want to show you some things you need to see as far as understanding this issue of issues coming out of your heart. And uh, I want you to look at it today like you were at KU Medical Center and you're a medical student and uh, you're in a class on anatomy and you're sitting there in a big round table room and the guy is up there and he's going through explaining to you He's not preaching to you about a human anatomy, but he's, he's preaching at you. He's giving you what you need to understand. He's not giving it to you in a negative way to you. I'm not going to do that today, though it may come off the negative to some of you, but that's not my intent. My intent is to take those of you from this point on who want to be part of this, and we talked about in those prayer groups on, on how, what level you want to be able to do that, and I want to be able to now instruct you and to give you things that will help you Obviously, with your own life first, but you got to get on the inside of this and you've got to see. And you want to keep in mind wherever we go, whatever we do here, uh, we want to keep in mind about the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians overall is our handbook of ministry. And what we don't want to do is many times when we get into each chapter, we see all the side material and all the material that we deal with that shows you other aspects. And it's easy to lose sight of the overall book, uh, and we don't want to do that. Its major theme is it is the handbook of ministry. And in chapter 3, 
Uh, even though it doesn't seem this way, this is why it's so important tying it into Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, even in our, our book today, or as we study it today, uh, it may not seem like it, but this is one of the most revealing chapters in all of the Bible on who we really are in Christ. And this is why you've got to learn it. This is what I call one of the great sleeper chapters. It doesn't appear to be anything other than what you read, but my, well, when you begin to look down deep inside it, you begin to see uh, how this thing really is a key in looking on the inside of understanding where the issues of life that you need to prepare yourself to deal with in your own life first and then in the lives of other people. You know, we know that the book of Proverbs now is our key book. It's our principal book. We know that it's filled with biblical principles. It's been coming up on Thursday night a lot, and we've been trying to show you how to do that. But in dealing with people, you're going to find throughout the book of Proverbs and pretty much throughout the Bible, you're going to find four key words keep popping up. And these key words are what you need to get into your life and understanding is how you begin to <clears throat> understand and deal with the issues of life. The first word you're going to find is one we talk about many, many times. It's the word discernment. And discernment comes when you get into the Word of God and you begin to get principles in your life. The second word you're going to find popping up is the word discretion. The third word you're going to find is the word called uh, prudence. And the fourth word you're going to find is to perceive something or perception. Now, discernment, as we find it in the Bible, and I've told you this before, your ability to discern something is to see any circumstance or situation, not as it appears, but as it actually is. Discretion, then, once you have the discernment to see the problem, discretion is how you deal with the problem. Discretion will be a balance of grace and truth. It'll be a, a balance of seeing the situation as it is. <clears throat> That's uh, discernment. And then discretion is how you use the principles that you have to deal with this particular issue. Then we have the word prudent. Prudence would always exercise caution in what you do. Prudence is something you don't just run into it and do it. Uh, prudence is when you see a situation, you've got to deal with a situation. You don't get on your white horse and just charge into it. You step back and you use caution in, in making sure you understand all of the issues and the facts. It's a pre-action mode, something that you do. To be pre-active is the word they like to use today. To perceive something or perception is to think outside the situation. And uh, you'll find in the Bible that many times when a guy's faced with a situation, <clears throat> the Bible says that he perceived. And perception is thinking outside of the situation. These four words are the ability that we uh, give you the ability to understand basically where people are at. We talk a lot about reading people. And <clears throat> reading people is very important. Reading people is, gives you all of the advantages of being able to understand how to help them better. You don't read them for a wrong motive. You read them for a good motive. And you remember the key to dealing with people is to identify, and their issues is to identify the root problem as quickly as you can to get to that point to be able to solve it. Now, <clears throat> chapter 3, along with that, is also, I think, one of the most damning chapters in the Bible of who we should be. And I told you that it was a, a sleeper chapter. It was a chapter that really helps define who we are as Christians. 
And people, you know, God's people like to live between the cracks many times. And you need to know that when you deal with people, you deal with problems. Many times you're dealing with issues that they have uh, because they really don't want to <coughs> deal with it the way they need to. And yet they want to complain about their circumstances, but they really don't want to get in and fix what the problem is. And they kind of live, live between the cracks, so to speak, between the white lines, as the phrase goes. And... Uh, you know, they want to give the appearance of one thing when in reality it's usually something else. And this chapter is a great tool. And that's why I want to, I want to, I don't want to preach it uh, uh, to you today. I want to preach it, uh, I want to give it to you from the inside. I want you to be able to step back and look at me as somebody who's just trying to educate you on the spiritual anatomy. Because we're a doctor where he specializes in one thing, maybe internal medicine or cancer, or he deals with the eye, ears, and throat. Somebody else does the GI. Somebody else, they specialize in things. You have people who specialize with ears, their feet, uh, 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 your skin. They all, no doctor can be really good at doing it all. This is where the difference is between uh, the physical world of being a doctor and the spiritual world of being part of the great physician's team. You've got to be good at it all. You've got to understand body, soul, and spirit. You've got to understand how they connect together. You've got to understand how they defined in the Bible. You've got to understand how not only do they connect, but how one works off the other, that when you have a problem with this one, how it affects the other ones. These are the things that you have to be. Uh, you have to become a specialist in everything uh, when it comes to dealing with the issues of life that people get into. So I want you to look at it from that aspect today. And this chapter is a great tool in helping us understand how to read people, uh, being smarter than the problem, being able to use those words, discernment, discretion, how to have prudence in what you do and to be able to perceive things. Now, I told you before that <clears throat> each chapter has a theme in itself, and this is very important. And the Holy Spirit of God takes those themes and then builds on that theme as He puts the book together and teaches us ministry. I told you chapter 1 was a great defining chapter on the definition of ministry. Ministry that you and I are going to get into with people isn't me standing up here and yelling for you to do right and get your life changed. Ministry is suffering with your people. Ministry is going through with your people what they're going through and helping them based on the things that you've went through in your own life now that you are, have learned how God is dealing with you and now you're able to help somebody else. Ministry is suffering with the people that God has given you through their tough times and through uh, the issues in life. Chapter 2, we saw where it was the forgiving spirit of the ministry. And I kind of told you that chapter 1 defines the ministry, ministry chapter 2 defines the minister. And that is your ability to forgive and forget, your ability to not hold grudges, your ability to take things as they come, your ability as a minister to be able to not take things personal, realize who you're working for, realize that God has given you a job, and many times just as they hated him, they're going to hate you because you stand for the truth. And then chapter 3 now, where we're going to go today. Chapter 3 deals with the uh, what should be the central theme of our lives as God's people. And this really defines us of who we are, who we are in Christ. Chapter 2 defines us who we are as ministers. Chapter 3 defines us who we are in Christ. And you're going to find in your life, if you pay attention to the Word of God and keep growing in the book, 
you're going to find that your whole Christian life is nothing more than a redefining process of everything in your life. You say 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, you're going to find, if you look back, if you're doing what God wants you to do, that your Christian life and your growth in Christianity and your, in the Word of God has been nothing more than a very fine-tuned defining process that you redefine yourself every day of your life. Every day of your life. So it's no wonder that chapter 1 defines the ministry, chapter 2 defines the minister, chapter 3 defines who we are uh, in Christ. And understanding, and this, you know, this chapter also helps give us a better grasp and understanding of two great principles that we've talked about before. Uh, and first one's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, when it says, What? No, you're not just your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and you have it your own. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. We're not our own. God saved us for a purpose. God saved us for a reason. You've heard me say it many, many times. And the second great principle we talked about when we came through the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 14, verse 7, is the Bible simply says that in your life and my life, once we're saved, no man liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Those two verses are really the key verses that this chapter is built around when we want to talk about it today. Well, let's begin by reading here the first six verses. So I'd like to invite you to <clears throat> look down here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. He says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifest, uh, declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, Father... We ask you to today to help us unravel all of this. There's a number of men and women here today, Lord, that have decided to take that challenge to uh, become uh, uh, able ministers, to be able to deal in people's lives, to be able to take the Word of God and to, through discernment and discretion and, and all of the things that you give us to uh, be able to read uh, the problem, read the people, and to help them, to bring them to a place where their life uh, if they're unsaved, to bring them to a life in Christ. If they're already saved, to help them become fruitful in everything that they do. We pray, Father, you'll take this time and use it. Take these young men and young ladies that have deep down in their hearts. And, Lord, I, <clears throat> I can only imagine what the conversations must have been with many of them with you because I know that many want to do right and they want to follow that. And, Lord, I pray you'll help them. Help me help them. Help me not make this thing something that's uh, unreachable, but something that's very tangible, very reachable, but it takes the things in their life that they have to have to be able to get there. And Lord, at the end of the day, we pray you'll raise up out of this church men and women who are committed to invest their life in the life of people, to help people get through their issues of life as you've helped us get through ours. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, this chapter deals with the proof of your life in Christ is simply 
your ministry. You know, ministry, the word ministry is like the word love. The word love is a word, but it's really not a look. It's a word that gets misused today. And really, love is not a word. Love is an action. You can tell people you love them all the time, but many people tell God that. But the true uh, word definition of love is not in the word you use, but in the action that follows the word you use. And, of course, ministry is the same way. Ministry is an action. We talk about ministry, but ministry is an action. Ministry is something you get involved in. It takes something of your life. And I, I've said this a thousand times, and you've heard me say it, that there's nowhere in the Bible does God ever uh, recognize in the Word of God a child of God that is not involved in ministry. It's just not there. It's kind of like people... Kind of like people get the idea when they get, when they get uh, saved, should I get baptized or not? Uh, people think, well, do I have to join a church? You know, should I join a church? I have people all the time tell me, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that may be true, but here's the bottom line. Here's the answer to those two questions. You come to the book of Acts, which is the foundation of the church and certainly the foundation of church history. You know what I find? I find that every man, every woman that ever got saved got baptized. You don't find any place in there where somebody says, well, maybe not today. Maybe I'll wait till I understand it better. You don't find that. The model is clear. In the New Testament, early church, when they got saved, they got baptized. Now, they didn't get saved or get baptized to be saved. You understand baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. They got baptized after they got saved because they understood the importance of it and what it identified them with. Now, at the same time, Everybody in the book of Acts that got saved, got baptized, joined the church. It wasn't any of this, well, I think you don't have to be a good Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to go to church. It wasn't that. The model was set. And just like you don't find anybody in the book of Acts in the foundation of the church that when they got saved, they got baptized. And when they got saved, they joined the church. You don't find anybody in the early church in the book of Acts that didn't get involved in ministry. Ministry is a non-negotiable item, or should be in your life and my life. And again, I'm not preaching this at you. I'm telling you, these are things you need to understand, and the ministry is defined as people. There's nothing more damning, and you need to realize this when you start to look at people and the issues of their lives. There's nothing more damage to a child of God in his Christian life, nothing more telling as to uh, his true condition than a Christian who refuses to do what God has called him to do. Fundamentally, it breaks down the whole concept of God's plan. I've said it a hundred thousand times. You will say it a hundred thousand times when you get into the position where you're going to get. God saved you for a purpose. How many times have I looked at many of you one-on-one, and you'll look at many people one-on-one, and you'll tell them, you'll tell them, God saved you for a purpose. There's a reason that God saved you. It wasn't to fulfill your own goals. It wasn't to fill your own desires. It wasn't to pursue your own destiny, but rather to finish for Christ the work that he started, and then he went back to heaven and he left for us to finish. Now, I know getting to that point is a process. I understand that. I realize that when you get saved, you go through a process, and as you go through that process, you grow, and as you grow, you understand more, and then in time, you become part of what God wants you to do, and you become a minister, you minister for God. 
The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4, uh, a great story back there about Cain. And the Bible says that, that God put a mark on Cain. And God put a mark on Cain so everybody would know who Cain was. He didn't want anybody hurting Cain. He put a mark on him, and he said, don't touch that guy, and he marked it. Then you get over into the New Testament with Paul over there in, in Romans 16, 17, and he says, mark those who cause division among you. You go back in the Old Testament in, or in the tribulation period, and you find that the Antichrist puts a mark on people. Then you go back to Isaiah, and you'll find that in the tribulation, you never hear about this one, everybody wants to put the hype on the Antichrist, but God in the tribulation marks his people. God's into marking things. He's into marking, and nothing marks us. Nothing marks us for who we are more than our willingness to be involved in ministry to people. It's just the way that it is. Nothing will define us as God's people more than the aspect of ministry. And you, these are things that you need to get in your mind and understand because there's going to be some place down the line that you are dealing with people along those lines. I mean, you can fake a lot of things in Christianity. You can. You can fake a lot of things, but you cannot fake true biblical ministry if you know what to look for. And it's a thing where uh, it's, it's absolutely important. And I'll tell you why. Because ministry contains the building blocks. Ministry contains the building blocks that you got to have for your own Christian life. You know, when we talk about, you know, getting saved and then building yourself in the Word of God and going through that process, it's like, but there's building blocks to that. You don't just do it. There's building blocks. Just like when you built your house, there's stages it goes through. When you build a building, there's building blocks. Anything you build. When you were a kid, you got a Lincoln log set. There were pieces in there, and you built things with it. Well, in the Christian life, there's building blocks, and those building blocks are a necessity in our life to be a successful Christian. But what ministry does, it guarantees that these things get into your life. And, you know, the building blocks, we've talked about them many times. Dedication. Being dedicated to something. I see that in, in many of you, and I know that there's times you can't go, things come up, but on the overall, this church is absolutely dedicated to what we do at Restart and what we do down in the inner city. And that's key, because for it to be successful, that's the way it needs to be. We talk about self-discipline. Self-discipline is an absolutely vital thing you got to have in your life to be a, a fruitful Christian, but you have to have it in ministry. Accountability, responsibility, sacrifice. We talked about it. Uh, we talked about you people that go down to Wichita. What a sacrifice. Sacrifice today. Giving up your time with your family or the time you could. I know some of you people come to the place where you go down and restart. You're down there till 7 o'clock and you got to go to work all night. And you go home, catch an hour or two, and yet, then you work all night long. <clears throat> That's a sacrifice. We don't put it up on the bulletin board. I know some of you <clears throat> go down there and, and you, you work and you're down there till we're done. And then you go home and you got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go to work. That's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. And that's what it takes. It takes sacrifice. It takes long suffering. This is the building blocks. These are what you get 
when you get into ministry that makes you. It doesn't just happen because you get a name tag and says, I'm a minister or I'm in this ministry. No, it's the building blocks that are in your life that build into this. Now, in this chapter here, a problem has arisen. You probably figured that out by me just reading it here. And again, the Holy Spirit of God uses this issue for us to teach us and give us what we need to learn uh, in understanding what we need to learn in understanding ministry from this book. And you remember I've told you that the difference between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, they're totally carnal. There ain't anybody who wants to do what's right. I mean, they are absolutely the most messed up, screwed up, fouled up church anywhere in the New Testament. Somewhere along the line, they want to do what's right. And now Paul writes them 2 Corinthians. And where chapter by chapter in 1 Corinthians, he deals with issues that they have to get straightened out. Now in 2 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, he deals with issues teaching them how to ministry. And it forms for us the great contrast. 2 Corinthians now becomes the great book that we have to teach us about ministry. Ah, but here's the issue. And this is the things we need to learn today. I'm going to take you inside now. I'm going to show you the inside of this thing. not preaching at you. I'm showing you, I'm I'm instructing you now as prospective physicians how this issue of life concept. Now here we are in 2 Corinthians. Everything is just great, isn't it? No, it's not. Not everybody wants to do right now. The majority of the church does. Most of the people do. But there's an element in this church, doesn't tell you who, doesn't tell you how many. But I guarantee you that when you get in ministry, you're going to find this element in every church in Kansas City, every church in Missouri, and every church across this planet. It's just the way that it is. Not everybody wants to do right. Not everybody wants to minister. Not everybody wants to begin to minister. And they're now questioning Paul's authority to say and to teach what he's teaching them about ministry. And this in itself is a great lesson for us. This is a great lesson for you. I've been in churches or around churches all my life. And the people who always get disgruntled, the people who always will cause issues, will always, almost without exception, be the folks who don't or won't get on the inside and fulfill their obligation to God as far as ministering to people. And the reason why that is is because they have nothing invested in it. It really doesn't mean anything to them. It's like you all, hopefully you older folks, you younger guys don't think about it, but you older guys, you probably uh, in some place where you work have some kind of retirement, 401k or whatever, that you contribute to on a regular basis. And you look around the world and you find yourself looking at the stock market, checking it out, making sure you're losing money, making money or whatever. You know why you do that? You know why where maybe some of you younger guys don't care about it, don't even think about it, don't even know what the stock market is? You don't have an idea how it works, where older guys look around. You know why? The difference is that one person has most of their life invested in it, and the other ones don't have anything invested in it. And when you don't have anything invested in anything, you don't care about it. You don't care about it. And that's why so many people get disgruntled in churches, and it's always the people. I've seen it all my life, and you need to learn it. It's always people who make no investment. It's always people who put nothing into it. And your mama used to tell you, you only get out of something, what? What you put into it. 
And it's a thing where that's where it's at. So what happens then, and there's several reasons for this, what happens then, God saved you for a purpose. God saved you for a reason. He wanted you to do what he wanted you to do after he went back to heaven. We don't do it. So then we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's got to pop out somewhere. And it pops out in your being disgruntled. It pops out. It is very obvious. You know, 5,000 people can get saved. The church can be going crazy, a revival going on. And all they see is a couple stupid little negative things. You know why? They don't have anything invested in people. They don't have anything vested in people. My father and the Lord told me many, many years ago, it's always interesting to watch what upsets people, especially God's people. Always look, what make, always look and study at what makes them mad or gets them upset. And it's a thing where it's, a, it's an incredible deal. And, you know, a lot of times it's the exposure issue. You know, if everybody wore a red suit next Sunday and one guy wore a green suit, You'd stick out pretty, pretty, pretty well. Everybody else has got red on, you got green. And many times that's what happens in churches. Everybody gets in ministry, and the ones that get in ministry, it's just by a natural process. The ones who don't want to be in ministry, they wind up with a red, green suit on, see? They get exposed. People don't like to be exposed. Now, that's, that's one of the, well, I guess that's how you look at it. I was going to say it's one of the, bad things of a small church. I think it's one of the good things of a small church. I guess it's how you look at it. You see, it's hard to live between the cracks in a small church. No place to hide. And, you know, we all see each other's downside of things. And when everybody, you get a small church and everybody, you know, gets on board and you got somebody out here wearing a green suit. I mean, it's just the way it is. So people people have to come up with plan B. I mean, you can't, you can't say, well, I don't want to do it. I don't like this, or I don't want to do that, or I don't, you know, you people. So you come up with plan B. So now your work schedule always conflicts, you see. You always have family issues, your health issues. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, well, he said, I'm going to get in ministry. <clears throat> he said, I've just been really, really been sick, and I've just been sick for a long, 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 long time. And he says, I, can, I, I can't hardly do anything. And I said, wow, you've been off work all that long time? Oh, no, 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 no. I go to work. See? Speaking of work, years ago, when I worked at the Hoover Company, we had this guy who was absolutely worth I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Arbogast. Now, you go, a guy with a last name named Arbogast has got to be a problem. <clears throat> this was a little run of a guy who thought he was 6 foot 12 and 500 pounds. And he, he was a worthless guy. <laughs> worthless guy. And... <clears throat> He always would find excuses not to come to work. And where we worked at the Hoover Company, you had so many sick days, and then you got penalized, and pretty soon you lost your job. But if somebody died in your family back then, that was always the excuse. This guy had more people die in his family than anybody I've ever known. It became a joke. He got so mad at me one time. And I was ticked at him because he had a... They always gave him the raunchiest job because he, he couldn't be trusted. So when he didn't show up, somebody else had to do the raunchy job. And I had got that raunchy job, and I was ticked myself. So the next morning when he does show up, and he shows, finally shows up to work, everybody's kidding him about being off from work. And I just stepped up, and I had it. I just said, oh, don't be on him. His grandfather died again. <laughs> he didn't like it, see? We all find our excuses, see, when we don't want to do something. Some of God's people never miss an opportunity. To miss an opportunity. 
and that was my old buddy Arbogast, wherever he may be. <laughs> well, you know, it's just the way that it is. Now, look at verse 1 here. Verse Now, problem is risen. I want to show you what we got. This is a great thing. This thing develops into a great study for you and me on the issues of life. <clears throat> now, verse 1 says, do we begin ag- again to commend ourselves? Question. Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Or letters of commendation from you? Question. You see, a problem's started here. Now, there's some group in his church or some people in his church that's asking Paul if we could even get our head around this to prove who he really is and to show proof that he was sent by God to them. Now, first thing I ask you is, come on. Do you think, really think that people didn't know who Paul was? You think everybody knew who Paul was? You think they didn't know that he was God's man to the Gentile world? You got some people here just like you're going to have people today who don't want to minister and don't appreciate the fact that the rest of the church is ministering. And it's exposing the fact that they don't want to be part of it. I mean, the problem has to be Paul. It couldn't be them. Now, Paul's answer is a classic. And I I love it. I I, I like Paul. I, I know him well. I've studied his life probably more than anybody in the Bible just because that I know that in ministry he was up against what I'm up against. And I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination I'm anywhere near where he was at in his relationship with God. But I'll tell you what, him and I could be good buddies because we both at least agree on one thing and we have it in common. And that is a no-nonsense attitude toward ministry and doing the Word of God. I love Paul's in-your-face style of ministry. You don't find that much today. Paul didn't take anything off of anybody, and he never cut the corners. When it wasn't right, it was right. One time over there in Galatians, uh, he took on the whole church of Galatia. I remember one time he took on Peter, because Peter didn't do what was right down there, and Peter's supposed to understand now that the gospel's gone to the Gentiles and put it in perspective for the Jews. Peter's kind of crawfishing down there and not doing what's right. You know what Paul says? Paul says, I, was, I, I withstood him to his face. I like that. My kind of guy. My kind of guy. And Paul's answer to them is a classic, and it shows his ability to get to the root of the issue, and he doesn't, he doesn't waste any time. He says in verse 2, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, and read of all men. What a great answer. Let me translate it for you. Paul's saying, You want a letter from me? You want a letter, a letter from me of, of, of who I am? You want me to bring in letters of recommendation from other churches, from other people? You want me to prove to you that I'm the man that God says I am and I'm here by God to help you straighten this out and you don't like it? So you now want proof that I'm the man that God wants to put in your life to help this church get along? He says, I'll tell you what. Go look in the mirror. You wouldn't even be here you wouldn't even be saved, and this church wouldn't even be in existence if God didn't bring me to put it in. Wow, what an answer. Now, what, how do you respond to that? He put it right to him. I mean, he says, you be my letter of commendation. You be it. 
You know what? You want to ask me why, how I am, and should I be here and do all this? Why? Go look in the mirror, pal. You would, you'd be in the lake of fire if God didn't send me down here to win you to Christ. This church wouldn't even be in existence if God hadn't sent me down here to start it and then bring me back in to keep it straight. There's no response to it. You be my letter of commendation. How stupid. God used me to get you saved, and God used me to start this church, and God used me to do all of this, but... It's a simple fact, though, and this is the thing which you learn from this. People who do nothing for God will always have a problem with people who are doing something for God. You want to write that down. That's a real inside look. All my life, I've had people that have worked with me in ministry all my life. And all my life, I've had other people who didn't want to be in ministry pointing fingers at the people who were doing ministry and trying to tell me how rotten they were. I mean, it's all my life it's been that way. You always have people who, who will make themselves look better when they're doing nothing at the expense of people who are doing something. Hey, over the years, let me tell you something. I've seen young Christians get destroyed. I've seen young Christians get quit coming to church. I've seen young Christians lose their zeal for God because some godless, worthless Christian was always pointing out to them the people in a church that could help them, that could disciple them, that could bring them help and help them, but because of their own lack of inspirituality, they, they, they badmouth all the other Christians out there that could help them all to make themselves look like they're something special. And I wouldn't let them walk my dog. I don't have a dog right now, but I wouldn't let them walk if I had one. Hey, I've seen it all my life. My standard answer is this. Oh, really? 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 Well, I don't know what to tell you. I'll just tell you this. I like what they're doing for the Lord a lot better than what you're not doing. I'll leave it at that. We all got our problems. We all got our issues. But people don't like, when they won't serve God, they don't like to, they don't like to be put on the spot by people that do serve God. I think it was Eve. Eve, was it telling you? was you to tell me yesterday, the other day, and I was getting my hair cut. Eve went out to some place and wore her Old Paz Baptist Temple shirt. Old Paz shirt. And t- t- tell me what happened, real loud now. Just yell. You, you wore this sweatshirt that you made yourself. You went to some place. Where'd you go? Hy V in the milk section. Health, Hy V in the milk section. Now, there's a woman who knows where she was. <clears throat> What happened? Uh, James in the milk, he runs the milk section. James the milkman. James said, uh, what's up with your shirt? You going to church now? Out of the clear blue sky. <laughs> what's up with your shirt? Going to, and what did you say? I said, yeah, I've been going for like two years. And what did he say? Oh, so how old are you? And I said, 31. And he said, so you've been sinning for 29 years, and now for two years you've been going to church, you're going to give me the runaround? <laughs> hey. I said, you brought it up, I'm just wearing a shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Happens with me and my wife all the time. <laughs> the point is this. She wore the shirt. She went to the milk section to get milk. Jimmy the milkman shows up, says hi, sees the shirt. You're going to church now. And then she never said a word. She didn't say, you need to get saved. You're a sinner. She didn't say anything. And immediately he says, Oh, so now you're going to try to tell me what to do? He brought it up. See how it works? How it works. That's exactly how it works. 
I'm telling you. It's exactly how it works. And it's a thing where when you, when you understand this, it's a telling chapter. I mean, it really is. It really is. This chapter is a chapter in so many ways. It, it's a revealing chapter. It's a chapter on exposure. And that's what she did to Jimmy the Milkman. She never said a word. <coughs> she wore a shirt <coughs> that said Old Paz Baptist Church on it. She wore a shirt. Jimmy saw the shirt. Immediately, Jimmy knows he needs to go to church. He's not going to church. She never opened her mouth. And that in itself is a great thing for Eve. She's now a member of the Secret Service. <coughs> she wore a shirt. The guy saw the shirt and then says, So, you try to convert me now? I didn't say anything. You brought it up. You know why? The shirt exposed him. It exposed him. You know what ministry does to people that don't want to minister? Why it makes them so miserable? It exposes them. You need to learn this. This is Paul's problem here. These people are saying, who do you think you are coming in? Who do I think I am? I'm the guy that won you to Christ. Incredible chapter. Now look at verse 6 for a minute. Let's jump ahead. I want to I show you what you and I are supposed to be. Verse 6 says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth but the Spirit maketh alive. Now, that's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was no life in the Old Testament. No eternal life when they died they went to Abraham's bosom. The blood of bulls and goats could never pay for sin. It temporarily covered it. The Old Testament represents death. The New Testament represents life. That's what he's saying. But he's saying here that you and I are to be able ministers. We're to be able ministers after the New Testament. But look at this. New Testament able ministers, we minister life. The Bible says unsaved people are dead people. You got life. Your job and my job in its simplest form, once God saved you, is to give life to dead things. Then how in the world do we have dead Christians, dead churches, dead sermons? I'll tell you why. Because there's no life in it. That's why. God's people put life in it. Last week I preached a letter, on, uh, preached a letter from hell on, on Easter. And that's an old throwback sermon from way back in the, in the 60s, long before I ever started preaching. But it goes to show you the way it was once, because what a preacher needs to do when he preaches is he needs to put life into what he preaches. Hey, the old boys used to preach hell so hot you could feel the heat. The old boys would get up there and preach on heaven. You'd hear the angels singing. The old boys would preach on sin and tell stories about somebody dying or getting killed this way because of sin. I remember one guy, somebody uh, preached on a train wreck and a guy got killed in a train crash and all that thing. And, and everybody could hear the train coming down the track. Because back then, you took a living book with a man who had God's passion in his heart, who was alive, it was a minister of life, and whatever he preached, he gave life to. Well, now we have to have pageants. Now we have to have films. I watched one church last week. They built their whole service, Easter service, around interpreting dancing, whatever the God meant that might be. We've lost the ability to minister life to dead things. 
Because we ourselves have no life. And we ought to be ministers of the New Testament, not the Old Testament, ministers of the New, ministers of life, giving life to dead things. That's what our job is. I'm sorry if you don't like that. And I say that, you know my stand on salvation today. I make no bones about it. I, I, I personally have told you many, many times, I don't think for a moment everybody who says they're saved is saved today. I don't. I'm sorry. I just don't. I know what it takes to get saved, and I know what it takes not to get saved. Bible says there are seven things you lose when you lose your Bible. And we have certainly lost the Bible today. Somebody said on the radio last week that we have, and it was a secular radio, and he's absolutely right. He says America has moved past the Christian era. America is no longer within the Christian era, and America is no longer in a pretense in any way a Christian nation. He's right on the money. He's exactly right. And he's not talking about lost people. He's talking about saved people. And the reason why I know that, because everybody who says they're saved, why aren't they ministering life if that's what we're supposed to do? You know, I would think to myself, if you got life, you might minister a little bit of life. We've lost the truth of anything today. Salvation is like everything else. It's a nice, feely, touchy, emotional thing. And if there's anything that you've got to leave out of your salvation and base it on simply God's word and God's truth, you've got to leave out your emotions. That doesn't mean you don't cry. doesn't mean you don't get filled up with things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this going down, hearing a sad story, seeing a sad story, somebody springing, somebody playing 28 stanzas of just as I am, and then moving down, getting on your knees, claiming to get saved, and then getting up and going right back to your godless lifestyle. I know what a real Christian is. I saw real Christians. I have a comparison of what isn't Christianity today. I'm old enough to see the difference. I know what a real Christian is and I know what a Christian isn't. And I don't see today, I don't see today in God's people's life what the Bible says is godly sorrow. There's sorrow, but there's no godly sorrow. And the tragedy is that most of God's people don't even know the difference today. If I put a gun to your head and cocked it and said, tell me the difference in the Bible between sorrow and godly sorrow, most of our brains would be on that wall. We don't even know. I'll tell you the difference. Godly sorrow is for a saved man. Sorrow is for an unsaved man. You don't even know the two examples in the Bible that lay it out. See, you see a bunch of people because they played the game. They went to church. They knew what Bible to take. They were in church all their life. They just played the game. They went along with the whole thing. There was nothing real ever in their life. I was talking to a guy one time, and he says, what do you think about so-and-so dying? I said, I think it was a real tragedy. And he says, why is that? And I says, because I don't think he was saved. And he says, well, you know, you can't judge a guy like that. And I just looked at him and said, do you want to take his chances? He didn't answer me. You know Why? Guess why? He didn't want to take his chances. You see, it's 
Godly sorrow. Repentance. Godly sorrow. There's no godly sorrow today. And God's people don't even know what godly sorrow is. I don't see today the witness of God's spirit in the sin of God's people's lives. There's no godly sorrow. I'm telling you, you'll learn this when you start to deal with people. I've seen parents all my life, seen people all their life that want to justify their kids are going to heaven when their kids are living like hell. Their kids won't go to church, can't go to church, will do nothing for God. And we get in this dream world that, oh, they were saved. Oh, she's saved. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. Hey, let me ask you a question. How come there's no light? How can you be saved and have the light inside you and then just always live in darkness? You need to explain that to me. The answer is godly sorrow. But you don't even know what it is. Now, I want to be honest. People who never minister life, they scare me. Because my Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. I mean, if you have life from God, how do you not? How do you stay in a continual life without God, without the Bible, without church? How does it not bother you? How come there's no chastisement in your life? How come it ever, nothing ever gets to you? It just goes on and it just, it never, I'll tell you why. Because there's no godly sorrow and godly sorrow is the difference. You learn this. Learn this. I've seen people that have been to church all their lives. You've learned to play the game. You were raised in church. As I said, you know what to say. You know the Bible to bring. You know how to sing the song. You've heard 10,000 sermons. Been in church all your life. You just never brought life to anything. And that scares me. It ought to scare you. But it won't. And I'm telling you, my friend, the difference is between sorrow and godly sorrow. Now, when you don't see godly sorrow, when you do not see, take it from me. Yeah, I know. I'm old-fashioned. I think the old way. That's why I call it the old past Baptist church. But I'm telling you, if you don't understand the difference, you better find out the difference. There's a difference between sorrow and godly sorrow. And when there's no godly sorrow, I'll tell you right now what you're dealing with. Like it or not. Now it gets worse or better. And these are things you want on the inside of ministry? Come on in. Look at verse 3. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Now, every Christian in this room, every Christian you're ever going to deal with that says he's a Christian, says she's a Christian, is now looked at as a letter from God to this world. That's what he said, a spiritual letter, not in stone, but in the tables of the heart. We started with a verse that said, issues of the heart. Verse 3 says, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, 
ministered by us. In the fleshy tables of the heart. Verse 2 said, And the epistle read of all men. The proof of you and me as a Christian and the kind of, is the kind of letter we are to this lost world. And it'll be very clear to everybody who sees your life or my life. Now, I understand that many of you are work in progress. I understand that. I realize it takes time to get there. I understand that too. But at the end of the day, when you want to learn to deal with people and out of the abundance of the heart come the issues of life and all of those things, the people you win to Christ, basically, finally, in a finalization, the people you win to Christ will speak to what kind of Christian you are. You either minister life or you minister death. If you hang out with unsafe people all the time, I wonder what your ministry letter is all about. Because if you minister life, you know what? The unsaved crowd don't want anything to do with you. It's so simple. It's so easy. The problem is, we don't understand the difference between godly sorrow and sorrow. The way you handle your own personal life. The way you raise your family. The way you treat your wife. The way the wife treats her husband. The way you deal with your children. The way you deal with the brethren will be the letter, the epistle, the book that people will read that is your letter of recommendation to, yes, God's way and salvation is the best way. And the investment of your life with other people, as so many of you do and and many of you want to do, teaching and training them will speak to what kind of minister of life you really are. Now this is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, not everybody was happy with Paul. Last week I preached a letter from hell. A couple told me, well, I was preaching it. We were just talking this week, but I was preaching. She said, well, I don't, she says, the couple, uh, the, the two people behind me certainly didn't like that sermon. Didn't think that was appropriate for Easter. I don't know who it was. Didn't say who it was. I don't even know if they knew who it was. But I don't need to know who it was. You want a good read on people based on what I've said so far? Let me tell you something. person to make that statement, I can guarantee you one thing about their life. They have never won a person to Christ in their life. I will give you everything I got on a bet on that. You know why? Because ministers of life don't talk that way. Ministers of life who give life, ministers of life who understand what your job is, and you are a minister, and you realize that your life is a record and a letter and an epistle written that all men read. You're a letter. Your life is an open book. You want to learn to read people? It's so easy. It's not hard. It's so easy. Once you have a little bit of discernment and discretion and you learn some of these basic things, reading people is absolutely the easiest thing in the world. You know why? Because I just told you, they're a book. They're a letter a spiritual letter on the heart. And out of the, out of the heart come the issues of life. That's why somebody told you never judge your book by its cover. That's why your mother used to say, I can read you like a book. God's people's lives are an open book. Some, some cases it's a, Letter of life and hope. 
You know why the people at Restart like us to come down? You know why the people down there at the river like us to come down? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what we do every time we go down. We give them hope. We give them hope. They know there's somebody that genuinely loves them. Somebody doesn't want anything from them. Somebody that cares about them and loves them, and that letter gets transferred through us to them, and in time they see that the only reason we love them is because God simply loved us. And I told you a couple weeks ago, we're all homeless. This old world's not my home. But some of you haven't ever got that. Some cases, your life is a letter of life. It's a letter of hope. It's a letter of light. You're able minister of the New Testament. In some cases, it's a horror story. It's one file up after another. It's something like Ken to the Night of the Living Dead, who marries Godzilla. In some cases, it's a fiction letter. It's not even real. In some cases, it's an X-rated novel. Somebody said one time, none of us are apostles. But all of us are epistles. And we're read of all men. You see, God takes that letter. This is what you need to learn. And this is on the inside. I'm not preaching at you or to you. I'm trying to show you how this thing works. God takes that letter. The witness on our heart, verse 2. And then through your ministry, not your own sufficiency, but your sufficiency in God. And through that ministry of life, He'll tell the story to others, and through that story, we'll minister to them life. That's how it works. That's why going out and doing everything before it's right in your life the way it is will never last. It'll never last. It'll never last. He says, he says verse 4, And such trust we uh, through Christ to God word that we are sufficient uh, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to think anything of ourselves but our sufficiency is of God in this ministry you're not sufficient of yourself it has to be of him it's not our sufficiency and I want to tell you that's the hardest thing in the world I I, I, I go up to I, I, I go up to this I was going to the fitness center at least some and they closed so I had to go over to this extreme fitness place you know they everybody over there. But for years, I've saw these three guys up here who were bodybuilders. And they're Christian bodybuilders. No, no, no. And they have a ministry. And they have a ministry that, uh, that they go to, go to churches, I guess, or youth groups. And um, they, I guess, one guy rips a telephone book in half. And, you know, and other guy bench presses 900 pounds and all those things, you know. And they do all that stuff. And, and I, I, so... People know I'm a pastor up there. You know, I've did several of the funerals for people that passed away up there, and all the people come to it, so they know I'm a preacher. So one day, oh, been about six months ago, this guy, huge guy, I mean, he's real big. He's got tattoo verses all over his body. You know, John three sixteen on the back. So when he flexes his muscles, you know, you can get the word of God. All that stuff. You know, crazy. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a system. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah. And so he says, he says, hey, he says, uh, you know, we have a ministry. He says, you're a pastor, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he says, he says, well, we have a ministry. He said, we'd love to come to your church. And I said, well, I said, I, I, he says, well, you know what we do? We're, we're weightlifters for Christ. I forget what it is, something like that, bodybuilders for Christ. And I said, I said, yeah, I know. I, I said, I, I said, that's not where really where I'm at. It's not, that's not where I'm at. And he started to get a little defensive. 
And he says, well, what's wrong? You, you, you know, what's, why wouldn't you? It's just kind of like your shirt deal. I'm minding myself. I mean, maybe it was the fact that I was best prenching 600 pounds. He thought I could be part of the ministry. I don't know. And, and, and I'm telling you, I, I think you'll, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, so he's, he's getting a little defensive. And so I'm fine and I'm a cool guy, but you push me a little bit and you try to get, make me like I'm the wrong person when I'm not doing anything and I'm just trying to be nice to you and you want to slap me. I'll kick you right alongside the head. I'll give you one of them Billy Jack deals, you know. So I'm cool, see. I'm just cool. And finally he says, he said, well, I don't understand. He said, now his other two buddies have come over. Now, here it is, 167 pounds up against 5,443 tons, you know. So I'm saying, look, I said, no offense, guys. And then one guy looks at me and he says, well, we do out there and we do all kinds of things. He says, he tears telephone books in half. And, you know, I said, yeah, I do too, Raytowns. <laughs> I can tear that sucker, no problem. <laughs> Whoa, you know. So, and he, he's going there, and he, he, he's in, in, kind of getting kind of, and he says, and the other guy says, yeah, we go in there, and he says, we do, and he says, we got that versus tattooed on it. I said, yeah, I saw him. You know, and he says, and he, one guy says, I can bench press 600 pounds. Now, I've had it at that point. And I said, well, now it's sounding exciting to me. I said, let me ask you a question. You, you bench press 600 pounds? Absolutely. You know 600 Bible verses? I said, you guys are here all the time. How much uh, time do you? He said, we, we work out five hours a day, seven days a week. I said, you spend that much time in your Bible? I mean, certainly, the Bible says bodily exercise profiteth nothing. But godliness profit to all things or with all? I said, certainly you wouldn't tell me you want to come to my church at the Bible-believing church. I'm going to have you get up there, and you're going to tell everybody you got 450 pounds, 600 pounds. You can bench press, and you don't know 600 Bible verses. I'd much rather you just forget the whole thing and just start rattling off the 600 verses. You're not going to tell me you want to come to my church where I tell my people that everything about the Bible, and they need to spend their life in the Bible, invest their life in the Bible, and you're telling me, you know, you've all been to gyms. Any place you go where there's that many mirrors, I'll watch these guys. I mean, I watch these guys, they just, I mean, they're, they're fixed on themselves. Now, can I say something to you? You spend five hours a day pampering his flesh. You know what that's going to lead to? You're best to let your six-pack turn into a keg and be okay with life, I'm telling you. <laughs> so I see somebody have taken that advice already. <laughs> That's where we're at today. <clears throat> nothing about the Bible. Nothing about principles. Come watch me rip telephone books for Jesus in half. Come watch me lift 600 pounds. And, you know, and one of them, his name was, his son, his name was Samson. Well, that's a good character. If I was going to pick a lot of names for me to be a preacher to somebody, Samson would not be the name I would pick. <laughs> he may have been a strong guy, <laughs> but that's about where it ended. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The giving up of self is one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. Giving up your own sufficiency. Putting self aside. Realizing to put no confidence in the flesh. This old flesh is going to be the source of your problems. The very idea of pampering this thing for five hours a day. Grooming it. Oiling it. Shaving it. So you can get out there and say, look at Jesus. Man, I'm in the wrong century, folks. I'm telling you that right now. I'm in the wrong place. 
the proof of us as a Christian will be the kind of letter, the epistle that we are to the world. And the people you win to Christ will speak to what kind of Christian you are, how you handle yourself and your personal problems, how you deal with all of those things. And based on 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the only credibility we have as a Christian and the proof of our salvation is your life, is your ministry of life as an able minister. God being all sufficient. Bible says this letter, this epistle is written not on stone, but on the tables of our heart. And every man reads it. That's how you read people. That's how you read people. You first understand that every person you're going to deal with, every person you're going to talk to, everybody you're going to get involved with is an open book if you just know how to read. And you begin to look and you begin to see and you begin to know exactly where their problems are. Now I want to show you the process. You'll teach this many, many times, so you want to get this process down. We started today. Here's how it works. Here's how it works. Here's how it should work. Here's how it works in your life. If it doesn't work this way in your life, there's something wrong. You've been sa- I'm just going to tell you. It scares me. You've been saved 5, 10, 15 years, 20 years, and there's no ministry of life in you anywhere, and your life is always around unsaved people. You want nothing to do with church. You want nothing to do with God's people, and, you're, and there's no ministry, no squeak of light out of you in ministry to anybody. Now, our verse started today around Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. You get ready for this process because you'll teach it a lot, helping people. We started with Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which simply says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's a great verse. That is a verse that is the fundamental verse of everything you're going to do. Everything you are, everything you're going to do and say from this point on will come out of this verse right here. So your heart is the key to this letter. And out of it, your letter, your epistle, will tell the story of your own issues of life and what God has done with you as a child of God and the biblical principles that you've learned and you use along the way. Now, here's the problem. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says that our heart is deceitful. Above all things, it's desperately wicked. So there we got our first issue. Ah, but then when a person gets saved and we understand now how godly sorrow fits into our equation. Notice I haven't told you what it is yet. I'm not going to. I'll let you try to figure it out for yourself. Because if I told you, it'd just be over your head. You forget about it. But I want it to stick with you. If you're a young single here today, I want it to stick with you in your own life and the people that are your friends that say they're Christians. I want it to stick with you if you're married. I want it to stick with you if you're a parent with kids. I want it to stick with you and drive that thing down into you. I'm telling you, you better see this world for what it is and realize that everybody that says they're, they're saved, as much as you want to be in denial, probably not. Then we get saved and now we get a new heart. We get life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You know the verse. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now the process begins. Psalms 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. You see, 
The issues of life come from the heart. Your issues are going to come out of your heart. So when you get saved, the first thing you got to do is get the Word of God in your heart when God gives you a new heart. And then that leads to Matthew 22, verse 37, that you get through the process, that you learn to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. And when you make God your sufficiency instead of yourself, and you get to the end of self, and you get to that sufficiency in your life, then Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 takes over, and He becomes your treasure. And we all know that where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. It's a process. Then as to the abundance of what God has done for you, now this letter, this epistle begins to be well on its way. And through all the abundance of the things that God has given you and He's done for you, we see the fulfillment of Matthew 12, verse 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. See the issues of life? Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it <coughs> are the issues of life, and those things come out of your mouth. <coughs> now Proverbs <coughs> chapter 23, verse 7 kicks in. And as a man thinketh in his heart now, so is he. And now because he's kept your heart, now your letter will be to minister to others on the issues of life out of the epistle that all men read. Now you're an able minister. Now you're a minister of the New Testament, a minister of life, a minister of hope, epistle read of all men. The husband then, as it continues on, the process is not done. The husband then uh, to his first, fam first ministry, which will be his wife. And he ministers life. He ministers hope. And he's a minister of life to her. The wife back to her husband. Once he leads the way, she follows. And then both of them to their children. Once that chapter of the epistle is complete, now, the minister, uh, now they minister life to other people. People will see in their hearts and read what God has done, and now they will seek them out because they know that they have the answers to the issues of life. The rest of our lives, as we grow and we struggle and we fight the good fight, and we continue to add chapters to our epistle, and in time it becomes a book. And that book is read of all men. Nothing will define who you are or I am or the people you're going to work with are in Christ as God's people, like 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're a saved person, then you're going to minister life. If you're an unsaved person, you cannot minister life. <clears throat> and that's why, even though you claim to be a Christian, listen to me, no life comes from you. Now, in closing... I just say this and we'll be done. <clears throat> we talk to you about your witness as this book. You know, all of my life, and I pay very close attention when people start to talk to other people. I pay very close attention when pastors speak to people. Many, many times we in our witness, when we're talking to somebody because we don't have a very good book to read, we always are telling that person what God and the Word of God will do for them. That's the wrong thing to do. When you're a minister of life, certainly God will do things for them. But if you want to minister life to another person, don't tell them what God will do for them. Simply tell them what God has done for you. But you see, when God's not doing anything, 
It's so much easier just to tell them what God will do. Boy, I find that all the time. And that's why I say in dealing with people, if you can't live the principles, hey, be a lint roller. I don't know what else to tell you. You can't sit there and give somebody else advice for things that you're not willing to do yourself. That book will never be a bestseller. That's not a minister of life. A minister of life, life is an open book. By the way they dress, by the way they talk, by the places they go, by the folks they hang out with, by the relationships that they form, life tends to life, not to dead people. Well, we'll hold up there today and give you about 10 minutes and then we'll meet down here for restart. That is